0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as a new teacher. Today, I'm talking to Stephen Saunders. Having trained in Manchester University, he moved to Essex to take up a job in a two-form entry school in Thurrock. He started his teaching career in year three, but during his time at Warren Primary, he taught across key stage one and two. He also had the chance to be science, computing, and assessment leader, which tells you all you need to know about his wide range of talents. Soon he became key stage one phase leader, then key stage two phase leader and assistant head, all in the school. They clearly didn't want to lose him. But after seven years at Warren, he was appointed deputy head teacher at Beehive Lane. Since he joined Beehive Lane, he's continued to widen his experience as leader of mathematics and teaching and development. And in 2009, he also started work as a teaching for mastery specialist for Essex Mathematics Hub, supporting schools and teachers across Essex. When the school achieved an outstanding grade from Ofsted, the report stated that the deputy head teacher provides a very strong teaching role model. And that's why I'm talking to him today. He's an expert teacher and he's sure to have so much to share.
1: Stephen, welcome. Absolute pleasure, Jeremy. Delighted to be on the show today.
0: So, Stephen, you've got an accent and a rather lovely one too. So how come you trained in Manchester and then came to Essex?
1: Well, I'd lived in Northern Ireland all my life, I wanted to do something new. I wanted to move to a different country. So I moved to Manchester to do my training. Um, I worked in a few schools in Manchester in in my training year, but uh, I wanted to move down closer to London. So Essex, I got a job, I I was offered a job in Essex and I took it, it was a school that I loved from the moment I walked into it. And as I said, it was there for seven years. So um, moving down to Essex was a great opportunity
0: yeah so so what was it then what is it about this is such an important point I think for trainee teachers I often say to them be careful about the first job you accept because the first few years of teaching are really hard work and it's really important that you start off on a good footing really in a great school so what was it about Warren that made you think wow what a school
1: it was the head teacher Without a doubt, um, from the moment I walked into school, how the head teacher spoke about her vision for what she wanted to achieve. And looking around the school, that supportive nature and providing me with those opportunities I could have in order to progress in my career, but also as an NQT at the time, um, how they would support me to develop myself and my pedagogy, my subject knowledge, but also support me in the classroom. And they provide me with a mentor, but also uh, a support network as well. Um, so overall, it was absolutely fantastic schools to start my career.
0: Yeah, it sounds... What, what Warren Primary... Let's say, again, Warren Primary School in Thurrock. Have you written a book yet? on how to support NQTs slash ECTs because it sounds like you got it absolutely right because that's so important isn't it the formative years of your teaching career it's a tough old job isn't it and, and I know you're a big Twitter fan and I'm a bit of a Twitter fan <laughs> and, uh, and I read so many tales really of, of teachers who are finding it so tough and maybe not getting the support they need it's such an essential time isn't it
1: It is. And uh, you know, I think the something that helped me was it wasn't just me as an NQT. There were three of us at the time. Mm. And we had that support network between ourselves where we could discuss our current um, objectives. We had expert teachers in the building. I I think it's better starting for me, it was better starting in a two-form entry school. Yeah. Because you had that expertise, but you also had a partner teacher. Mm. And with that partner teacher, you can look at that expert. Um, that expertise and learn from it, because thinking back as an NQT, I certainly was not a very good NQT. I would imagine. Um, reflecting you, I, very, I knew very little. I didn't have the right subject knowledge, I didn't have the pedagogy, and I had to learn from others very quickly. And the first lesson I taught, I'm, I'm pretty sure not one child really understood me, one because of my accent, ah um there were some strange looks towards my direction and my preparation for lessons was not consistent enough I'd I felt I'd done very well in my training year I'd always achieved the top level in Manchester University and suddenly I was thrown in this in a in a way an overwhelming situation where mm-hmm. I thought, well, I've got this class now um to teach and I found that hard to start with and you do need that support network in place in order to um, to enable you to thrive, really. And one of my first memories is, well, I guess being an inexperienced teacher, anything anyone told me and anything leadership told me, I just believe straight away because yeah. that's what the school says. And it wasn't until I became a little bit more experienced. I think David Dadao um, wrote a book. It, it was called uh, What If Everything You Knew About Education Was Wrong? And this really challenged what we all believe is good and outstanding practice. Yeah. It challenged the status quo in teaching. And and I suppose from looking at that or reading that book and thinking a bit more as being experienced, I suppose that made me reflect on what will this strategy, technique, this initiative, what will the impact be on the pupils? And that has to come first. Pupils must be at the heart of those decisions in the classroom rather than bringing in the shiny um, this is what every school in the country is doing but what impact will it have on our pupils what do our pupils need i think as an nqt yes there will be times or an ect now where you'll struggle you know you're coming into something new and sometimes it's it's really our character that defines us it it's you know i've always felt it's about that you have to have inside yourself that determination that belief that resilience to keep going and improve when things are hard and I believe during that year yes I did make mistakes but I learned from them and I became Mm. became a better teacher because of that. You have to be comfortable don't you making mistakes
0: we we want children to be comfortable making mistakes and as you've so rightly said teaching is overwhelming when you start Mm. and you think you're doing a pretty good job and you probably are But are you doing the best job you will be able to do in the years ahead? Of course not, because it's too complex and there's so much to learn. I read something the other day about this and uh, and an experienced teacher was saying, if only I knew then what I know now, I would have been hundreds of times better. And I worked really hard and I did the best for my pupils, but I really didn't know a great deal. And she said, and after 20 years, I thought, I'm really fantastic at this. And she said, but now, 10 years on from that, so 30 years on from being a new teacher, she said, now, even my view of myself 10 years ago when I thought I was fantastic, I'm now more fantastic because I keep learning. And, and, and the point she was making in this article was although things change and they do change rapidly, don't they, in schools, the actual art of being a great teacher doesn't change. I interviewed my mum who's 91 now, and she said, no one will be interested, darling, in what I've done. I said, they will, Mum, because you were a great teacher and you've learned so many things. And, and you know, she finished her, her podcast by saying, uh, be patient with your development. It's highly complex. It's going to take time. And, uh, you know, it's so good to hear you say that because I was rubbish when I started. Rubbish. Kids love me. They loved coming to school. My classroom was a great place to be. But just as you said, I used to teach things. I I remember teaching a lesson once on kinetic energy. We were using toy cars, of course, because I knew it should be practical. But I did kinetic energy with them. And we drew diagrams of how energy got transferred. You know, (laughs) these children just looked at me in a state of shock.
1: Yeah, Uh, you know, I think it's so important. The underlying reason coming into teaching is that you love Teaching, isn't it? Mm. That you, and and what are those underpinning reasons? I, I remember I decided to go into teaching after spending time. I was traveling and teaching in Africa actually during How were you? Uh, when I was 21. And it, it was those experiences that actually made me go towards a career in teaching. At the time, I was working in marketing, and really, I wasn't overly motivated working for no. a company. I, I spent my time sitting at a desk and watching a clock, and that wasn't me. So from that experience I decided well I want to train to be a teacher and I love the fact that in teaching every day is different you know there are different problems to solve there's different lessons to teach there's a range of personalities in your classroom to work with and you without a doubt it it can certainly be unpredictable
0: yeah and the unpredictability is part of the joy something else I've been doing a lot of reading lately you can tell uh, my lecture round so for this year has gone quiet now um march end of february march i don't do a lot of lecturing so um so i catch up on reading things and uh, and and i read something which said the joy of teaching is about the unpredictability and the author was actually concerned that with schools being so tight some of them particularly schools in trusts where they say this is what everyone has to teach and this is what we're teaching today and this is what we're teaching tomorrow that actually that ability to respond to children's needs gets reduced and therefore although they've done all that with the best of intentions of making sure there's consistency across the schools for the children's learning what it actually does is it holds back the children's learning because you can't react to what they actually need
1: yeah and i also believe you can't develop as a teacher that way you if know I think about what i love about teaching it's it's that bringing the learning alive to the children that's key something it's it's a chance to innovate it's a chance to be creative develop Mm. curiosity with those artifacts or objects and history it's using drama Mm. getting children to debate and discuss ideas you know sometimes they would never get the chance to do that Um, no and they
0: don't do they and and education is so much more isn't it than imparting knowledge that is in the national curriculum or anywhere else it's so much more than that it's so much about developing critical thinkers Mm. children who can go out and engage with the world but not be sucked into all this false news and false information they're bombarded with now and particularly through social media to be able to make judgments based on evidence and reason and being logical about things rather than just saying oh that must be true just what you said really oh that must be true because the senior management have told me
1: yeah and i loved your point in terms of when you said well actually you may not have been a great nqt but what children um got was that enjoyment in learning mm. that's crucial isn't it you, you know sometimes i hear of one-off days as enjoyable learning days but mm. all learning should be enjoyable children should yeah pleasure out of learning and that feeling of success out of learning in every day in school in my opinion
0: yeah no totally agree and different things are going to be different types of enjoyable for different children aren't they because we're dealing with unique people but definitely in every day there should be something whoa every child should be going god did that today wow oh i did that and and without a teacher who says "Cool, you did that today wow that child won't recognise that, will they? There has to be value in their effort and value in their achievement, wherever it is, however small or however great.
1: Yes, there are tough days and long, long days at times as a teacher. Mm. But, you know, I believe it's worth it, especially when a child gets that light bulb moment yeah. and experiences that success. That, that, I believe, is the best feeling as a teacher, certainly. Feeling- you can't,
0: You can't replace that. If, you know, you know, performers, actors and whatever, the buzz of the crowd mm. and, and all this, the adulation, the adoration, I don't know, whatever it is when you're a pop star or a <laughs> but but the cheering and the clapping. Well, mm. that's the teaching equivalent, isn't it? The yeah. child goes, oh, and you think, there's a value to what I'm doing. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've just achieved something amazing here by helping this child.
1: Yeah, it's certainly that feeling that you've made a difference, isn't it? Mm. That you've helped a child become more confident about themselves and, and challenged them to succeed when they possibly never thought they could in some, some areas.
0: Yeah, well, oh, that's I... often the case, isn't it? And that's the power we have as teachers. Great teachers enable children to feel they can achieve even if they've failed many, many times before. Mm. And that's the transformation you can affect on children, isn't it? Certainly, yes. So go on and tell us something about your early years at Warren. Something that that was good, bad. When you you know your first year, you told us about day one when they looked at you and you had your lovely Northern Iron accent, and and they saw, oh, look at you with, who is this bloke? But uh, tell us something about those early days.
1: Yeah, you know when I consider, if I was considering my worst moments in that first year, I certainly think a lot of it was in my opinion, dealing with parents mm. um, I, I find that difficult. Um, mm. and didn't didn't handle it in the best ways. I admit uh, sometimes with parents, I find it's important to listen carefully yeah and let them f- speak fully and say what they need to say before. Yeah any react you know before reacting and that's so important and at times in my first year I definitely reacted far too quickly maybe became defensive and and it was again something I had to learn from and I I learned very quickly and the way I learned from that is watching other teachers how Mm. they dealt with parents having that support from the head teacher and just sitting and see how she dealt with parents and issues and so on and Mm. sometimes if a parent is over emotional and intense it's just take time before dealing with it, it
0: absolutely and, and like you say you've got to listen to them yeah. and uh, and as long as they're being reasonably well behaved because when they it's a big deal for parents sometimes isn't it to come and talk to teachers because they remember their own sort of power differential the teacher had all the power and I didn't have any as the pupil And then they come in as the parent, don't they? And and they think, I've got a really important point I want to make here. And they have to wind themselves up to get in to speak to you. And I used to say to mine, just what you said, don't be defensive. I'm going to listen to them. And then I'll actually hear what the problem really is, rather than my perception of what the problem is, because I haven't let them finish. And I had that once with a, a parent came in and ranted at me for 10 minutes plus. And at the end, I said, I can see you're very upset. I'm just not sure what it's got to do with me. And she said, yeah, I'm really sorry, Mr. Crook. I just didn't know where else to come. And I said, well, that's fine. Next time, say, Mr. Crook, I'd really like a cup of tea because I'm really upset and I'm not sure why. And then I said, uh, I won't feel so bad for the 10 minutes when you're ranting, trying to work out what it is to do with me.
1: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the teacher is the first person that parent will see in the morning. And mm. sometimes it is nothing to do with the, the teacher, yeah. but because you're the first person, sometimes it's taken out. And, and the key is just to remove the emotion from that difficult conversation.
0: Yeah, and, 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 and as you say, sometimes just let that emotion out. I remember a parent once shouted at me. I said, look, I can see you're upset. I'm not happy with you shouting at me because at the moment, I'm not sure what it's got to do with me, but I'm going to let you shout if you want to shout, and I'm going to get on with my work. Is that okay? So, And then once you've finished shouting, we'll have a chat. So I turned round, and I did some work on my computer. <laughs> and uh, and he carried on shouting for about two minutes. And then I turned round when he stopped, and I said, do you want to talk now? He said, yes. He was still quite cross, but he'd stopped shouting, which was all I wanted. And uh, and that worked very well. And then parents get to hear of that, don't they? Yeah. I went in and shouted, he wouldn't even look at me. He turned round, he carried on doing something else. That's right, because that's how it's going to be if you're going to come in and shout.
1: Yeah, you know, I've always, you know, I find as I got more experienced, actually trying to strengthen those relationships with parents Mm. is really important. You know, don't be afraid to go out in the morning and and talk to the parents and build that relationship and not always going on a critical angle. Actually Mm. find the thing that the children are doing well and make sure you are positive to the parents as well because... If they're just hearing from the teacher when things are going badly, you know, it's not the best situation. So always make sure you say about the positives as well.
0: And just being neutral, I think, is powerful, isn't it? When I was a head, I used to do this endlessly. Go and find the most difficult parent in the school and go and talk to them. Mm. Not about anything. Just say, morning, how are you? Oh, looks like it might rain today, doesn't it? Oh, dear. Hopefully the children will get out at playtime. So it was absolutely nothing to do with their child. And I used to do that as a class teacher as well. Go and talk to the most difficult parent because then you had some sort of familiarity when the next difficult moment came along, which you knew there was going to be because with the difficult parents, they almost engineer a reason for coming in. It's almost a need they have, isn't it? For their emotional support
1: to come and dump it on you. Yeah, when I consider, you know, the best moments I had in in the first year, it it was, you know, I would say it was probably a lesson I had to deliver as part of a staff meeting initiative. Um, We were taking part in coaching at the time to support our own development of practice. And, you know, I was paired with the head teacher. The plan and deliver was actually a science lesson and it was on materials. And we, we were taking risks in our practice and, and it was all about how we could link it to our topic, which was the Romans at the time. Yeah. And But because we were, um, it almost opened up all avenues where we could take this lesson. It allowed me to take risks as a, and know that if I get this completely wrong, so what? What have, the key is? What have I learned from it? Mm. And she was a fantastic head teacher, absolutely superb. And um, I feel still at that moment in in my pra- practices in NQT, it, it's, it was that dedicating time, that asking the right questions to develop uh, my thinking, and allowing me to take the risks. You know, she yeah. helped really. What, what me. was her name? You it must
0: publicise her. She sounds like a fantastic. Was <laughs> Linda Pritchard? Was um, Linda Pritchard? linda you've you've done a great job with stephen because wow he's talented and and clearly a lot of that was down to you so on behalf of the children who've ever had the joy to be taught by stephen thank you very much let's have a quick chat then about some of the things that you think for new teachers you've already given us one great thing which Mm. is contact with your parents build that relationship which obviously is so important what else have you got because you're an expert practitioner
1: In terms of teachers um, creating that good learning I would say to start off get the right environment for learning that's so critical you know build in that idea of positive mindset or growth mindset into your practice where making mistakes are not feared in your classroom and model and encourage those values such as perseverance and resilience I think that's really important. Why do you think because I certainly did as an NQT,
0: I used to be concerned when children got things wrong. Why do you think that is, that new teachers, when they're told all the time, embrace the mistakes? Why do you think they're concerned when children get things wrong?
1: Uh, I think it's maybe just the scrutiny on themselves that Mm. as you're a teacher, the children should always be getting things right. And a change of mindset that actually no mistakes grow your brain in a way mistakes are good but it's about learning from those mistakes yeah but to get that culture in your classroom you have to get that learning environment right and learning Mm -hmm. environment here is not talking about the color of display paper or your font on the wall it's about that culture within your classroom is making sure that everyone participates in your class not accepting anyone just sitting back and not trying and if you are using things like working walls to support the learning thinking about How are they relevant to the children? How are they going to support the learning in the classroom? So what makes a great working wall, Stephen? What makes a great working wall?
0: Yeah, so in your classroom now, Mm -hmm. what makes a great working wall? Tell us about one of
1: your working walls that, that you
0: think, cool, this is useful.
1: Well, I'll talk about the mathematics display I have in the classroom because for years what I used to put up for mathematics displays was just printed off um from different websites of things that children have covered but i've actually replaced the working as a display board in classroom and put up a glass board because what that allows me to do is write up the learning from the exact from the lesson so putting up the things that you know the children will need on their journey on their teaching sequence and it's allowing a way it's it's a way for all children to access the lesson They can look up where they need support. Okay, I know I need, um, say, short multiplication. I can't remember one of the steps. It gives them an aid, a support mechanism to look up and build in that. Even things like STEM sentences or sentence frames. So one of the expectations is children will speak in full sentences in the classroom to support their, their English skills. But on that working wall, there may be a sentence stem. So when they're, I'm going to use an example of rounding, um, I want children to not just give me an answer when they round they will say when i'm rounding 2430 to the nearest 1000 i know the previous multiple of 1000 is 2000 the next multiple of 1000 is 3000 i know my middle value is 2500 so 2340 will round to two, um, to 2000 yeah. so it's it's that on building up those mechanisms to support children with their learning rather than just wallpaper and nice displays are so important in the classroom yeah. and things like vocabulary in english keep it up you know keep up throughout the whole year hundred
0: percent that's a real bugbear of mine you can't you know right from early years you want to bombard them with vocabulary don't you but but relevant to the work they're doing so there's always an application to the words that are being introduced but, yeah. but endlessly, 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 you can't
1: do too much of it. Yeah, most of all, develop that environment that develops confidence. Make sure that the children experience success because that will breed confidence in them. Get mm. so that right learning environment from the very start in the classroom. That would be the first thing I would say.
0: Yeah, I loved that. I loved your description of your working wall, the way and, and those STEM sentences That is so powerful because what you described about rounding, that's actually a fairly complex multi-step process, isn't it, to work that out. Mm. But to, to give them the language to describe the process they're going through is so powerful because they've still got to do the mathematics, haven't they? But we've freed up that working memory. So I've got the words and I can now use my working memory to do the maths. And very often we expect it all, don't we, when they're in that transitional phase of embedding a piece of learning. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. That's great, great. I knew it would be great. That's a great yeah. tip. Listeners, make sure that you, you support that verbalization of the process so that the children can actually use their work in memory on doing the maths. I can honestly say I've never seen that at the level you've just described. And I go to loads of schools and visit endless classrooms. I've never seen that on the working wall. (laughs) Ooh, awesome. Tell us something else.
1: I would say as a, you know, and to get great learning, set your expectations high, without a doubt. Um, There has to be a belief and a relentless approach that every child will succeed. And that's something that I learned over time. Uh, when I started teaching, we we used to have, you know, the red table, the blue table and so on. But the ch- what I found as I became more experienced is the children who were sitting on the red table were always sitting on the red table. Yeah. And they were never challenged. And they always did work that they were comfortable with. But that gap never closed. No. Um, as practitioners, we need to make sure that our expectations are high, that all children achieve in primary school, that we give them the best opportunities. And yes, children will learn at different rates and some may need extra time, but through scaffolding and support, um, children will grasp the concept. No, they-, they will. Oh, that's another bugbear of mine. I'm really glad
0: I asked you on here because I'm, I'm being able to lance various bugbear boils that I've got here and... Uh, and get it out of my system but special needs children what does that mean they're all special needs but some of them find learning aspects of the curriculum more difficult and we can't keep giving them work where they're successful because that doesn't build self-esteem does it they used to say oh they, they need to I used to have this said to me endlessly they need to feel success yeah they do they need to feel success by grafting and struggling and getting things wrong, because that's how everyone else gets success, because otherwise all we're doing is holding them back.
1: We're never moving them forwards. They need success at the edge of their comfort zone. Yes. We need to push children to the edge of their comfort zone. And when they have put in the effort, when they've actually had a lesson, we we'll go, oh, that was hard look what I've achieved and they're proud of it that's when you know these children are meeting the expectations and remove the labeling of children you know don't make excuses for children can do some remarkable things definitely and especially at Beehive Lane that's something that I've really learned that children reaching the expected standards a lot of that's down to what I said in the first point getting the right environment for learning making sure everyone participates and no one sits back. Everyone has to go in removing that, you know, making mistakes. It's fine if you make a mistake, but learn from it and listen well, listen well to others in the class. Yeah, that's that's so, so,
0: so important because without that, children will never get near their potential, will they? Never. I, I remember once we did a lot of work when I was ahead in my last school with the teaching assistants who were wonderful but uh, I used to say you do too much for the children. If you're doing the thinking, they're not your only thought is how do I get the child to think that's the only thought you need, you don't need any other thoughts, ship everything else out. And I was nipping around the classrooms, I used to spend loads of time just roaming around, you know, and there was a teaching assistant and a boy was measuring the length of something with his ruler and didn't know how to do it. And she said, Look, and he had to draw a line, the, the right length, Of the objected measured. And she said, Look. And she got the ruler, put it on his book, drew the line. And I said, Oh, David, that's a very good line you've drawn there. And he said, I haven't drawn it. Miss has drawn it. (laughs) And I said, (laughs) I said, Oh, yes, she has. I said, Are you going to draw it now then? He said, Well, yeah, I suppose I could, but she's already drawn it. And I said to the TA, I said, "Uh, Remember? your thinking is how to get them thinking and -hmm. she said oh yeah no sorry that was a I should have just done it on my own bit of paper shouldn't I I said exactly because you want to show him modeling is really powerful but don't model it in his book because then he doesn't see the need to do it then because you've done it
1: yeah exactly and you know I I think another Good point is, as as a teacher, always develop your subject knowledge. Now, you've just said a lot about the reading that you do mm-hmm. to develop, but I think that's key for teachers, that we continue to develop ourselves, and especially in the initial early reading, mathematics, writing. Um, that's key to get that subject knowledge um, really secure. And when I talk about subject knowledge, yes, you may be subject knowledge with um, English or mathematics subject knowledge, but it's also pedagogy knowledge. Yes. And I think more importantly, it's the knowledge of your class. When I talk about subject knowledge is knowing your class inside out, how they learn, what makes them really curious with their learning mm-hmm. and making sure you develop across the year, you know, in improve subject knowledge will allow you to understand, for example, where the misconceptions may arise mm-hmm. in learning and what do you do about them in order to correct those misconceptions. Yeah, and that's
0: a tough thing, isn't it, when you're a new teacher? Because often you've tried to prepare and think about what they might misunderstand. But unfortunately, folks, this is the bad news. You're going to meet loads of things that you didn't think about. And through my first year, probably my first couple of years, I used to finish lessons and think, if only I'd done that, if only I'd done that. But that's storing up, isn't it, good practice for the future? Because if you don't have that little bit of reflection to say, that's what I could have done. And I think that would have made a difference. And then next time, of course, you do it, then it's easy, isn't it? And and I see this not with many people these days, but the children get the blame for not being able to do the work instead mm-hmm. of the teacher thinking, if only I'd intervened in that way, that would have moved the child forward because I'd pitched the work at the right level. I just hadn't intervened in the right way to enable whichever child to learn it effectively.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, being very clear of that teaching sequence and, and those steps that children will need mm. to understand the concept. Yeah, definitely.
0: Stephen, we're running out of time, as ever. I did a podcast the other day with someone, and they said, where does the time go? And I said, I know, but when you're passionate about education and fascinated by it, you could sit all day and talk, couldn't you? So have you got a, one or two more things that you think are absolutely essential that you want to share with us?
1: Well, I'll tell you about one or two things that I wish I knew as an annually qualified teacher. Mm, great. I think that, you know, one of the things my first head teacher, a piece of advice she gave me was always keep a notebook as, as an NQT, write down the things that went well, the things that didn't go so well, and then learn from it. Mm. And I, I think reflection and being aware of your strengths and areas of development is, is really important in those first few years to develop your own practice. And I think the best way to develop yourself is also go on and watching others. All teachers, you know, will you know, all of us will of course develop that preferred learning and teaching style and and our own viewpoints, but shape your thinking in those first years by watching highly skilled professionals Mm. and keep a track of what you do well what's not going well and keep reflecting that's key and I think secondly the thing that I you know I wish I knew as a newly qualified I only found on my second year as a young teacher I definitely struggled to get everything done and prioritize that was something I found really difficult and in my second year of teaching I attended a course and and the advice was to eat the frog I don't know if you've heard this before i haven't tell you, me about it but it says if it's your job to eat a frog it's best to do it first thing in the morning and if it's your job to eat two frogs it's best to eat the biggest one first and <laughs> the idea behind this, it, is all to do with productivity yeah so identify the hardest most important or a task that is worrying you and i think as an nqt for me it was always tasks that maybe involve parents possibly that are mm. um that were really worrying me or taking up my thoughts and it prevented me from teaching good lessons at times so deal with them first things in the morning go and find that parent first thing in yeah. the morning, and get it off your mind identify that one task do it first and do it first thing in the morning don't put it off that's the key thing don't put it off and from experience it definitely takes that weight off the shoulders and allows um, more to be achieved
0: in the day really Yeah, definitely. Because you have enough anxiety, don't you, as a young teacher? Am I doing the best I can? What about Dave? What about Sarah? What about Yvonne? What's happening to them? Am I really helping them? Oh, crikey. And I said, I'd give this to the head teacher. And I haven't done that yet. And and oh, and I said, I'd go and chat to that. And I've got to do this art lesson. And I haven't got everything ready yet. And and I think my brain's going to explode. Yeah. Uh, take away the big anxiety the main one and and as you say for me parents I I went out with my old staff mm. recently and they said come back will you we love working with you which yeah. was lovely of course but uh, they were just saying that to be kind of course but um, I said I'll come back on two conditions one is I don't have to deal with parents two is I don't have to deal with Ofsted not that not that Offsted ever really bothered me in the sense that I could never be bothered about chasing, you know, the Offsted dream, whatever that is, because often mm. I never even read the framework and they turned up but I knew my school was good. Standards were high children loved school behavior was great. I had great staff who worked incredibly hard and and did all the right things. I was never bothered about Ofsted, but nevertheless, it's what you said. It's a nagging pressure, isn't it? It's there. It's a nagging anxiety. They're going to turn up at some point And how's it going to make my staff feel and all that stuff. And so dealing with the things you can deal with is such a good idea. And of course, for me as a head, The things that I couldn't really deal with, that I never knew whether they were coming up or not, were the things that gave me anxiety. Because all the things I could deal with, I was quite happy with.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something that I still use now as a deputy head. uh, You know, coming in the morning and thinking, "Eat the frog." Eat the frog. It's brilliant. stayed with me. Normally, I
0: finish the podcast with a with a quote or two Mm -hmm. from something that you've said or whatever. And I haven't got a frog quote. Kermit's come into my head, but I don't know any great Kermit quotes. So I can't offer that. But
1: possibly we could ask Boris Johnson in that uh, for a Kermit quote. Uh, definitely.
0: He's the man. He didn't know much, but he does know about frogs, I'm sure. Well, Stephen, it's been so good to talk to you. We've had a phase, haven't we, in society about sort of doubting experts. But I've said before, I love them. And why do I love them? And you've emphasized this so much today, because experts are always learning and finding out new things. And when they share those things with me, I become wiser, don't I? Crikey, why why wouldn't you love an expert? There's a chap called Clement Stone, and this was a quote I'd heard years ago. Try, 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 and keep on trying is the rule that must be followed to become an expert at anything. And that's exactly what you've said, isn't it? Don't worry about getting things wrong. Don't irritate yourself and go, oh, I should have known that. Well, no, you shouldn't have known that, but you know it now, so you won't do that again. And the other thing you've said, and this is Ken Poirot, he said, wise people understand the need to consult experts. Only fools are confident that they know everything. That's the point you've made so strongly, isn't it, today? Ah, Stephen, thank you so much absolute pleasure i knew it would be great and it has been and uh whoo i'm inspired what am i going to do today now i'm going to have to go and take something you've said and put it into action so what now listeners is there something that stephen has said that resonates with you there's gotta be he said so much that's so useful so if you've enjoyed this podcast please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app We'll keep you updated on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another thought-provoking educational chat. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT. Slash ECT.